Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see everyone here this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm lead pastor at Radiant Life, and uh, good to see everyone made it through holiday number one, Thanksgiving. Uh, Everyone have a good Thanksgiving. How many of you did not eat turkey? Wow, majority, right? I just had a little sliver just to say I did eat it, right? Not my favorite meat, but uh, glad we made it through Thanksgiving. How many of you have Christmas decorations already up? Got your tree? How many do not? You're like, no. Wow, good for you guys as well. Right? I had my stuff up the day after Halloween. (laughs) I just decorate different than you for for Thanksgiving, right? I just decorate it for Christmas. My brother was always like, no, no decorations, no Christmas carols till after Thanksgiving. How many of you are that way? Ah, bless you. Right? (laughs) That's good. We're all different, right? Hey, this morning we are in part four of our series, Puzzled, Piecing It All Together. We are going to rapid fire the rest of the Older Testament, okay? So we've gone up to Exodus chapter 25. I'm going to take us from Exodus, which is only the second book of the Bible, all the way through Malachi, who's the last of the prophets in the Older Testament. We are going to cover a lot of ground Here's my suggestion as you take notes, if you're a note taker. Probably you're not going to want to flip to any of the Bible references. You're going to just want to jot them down and go back to them later, okay? Because I'm going to be through, uh, we'll be in Kings, we'll be in Samuel, we'll be in Isaiah, we'll be in through a lot of things. But remember, if you were here last week, I said, a lot of you have been thanking us for this series. Say, hey, I've been waiting my entire life for someone just to put it all together from that 30,000-foot view, a lot of people saying, hey, you've even made the people that I've invited who are not believers or follow Jesus, you made it easy for them to understand. Week six, here's the timeline. They came in this week. This is what we're going to give you as our gift, okay? Created this online for you. We have a 1,000 of these, so you and your spouse can grab this. This is week six, okay? So you still got to come. And you won't get it until you're exiting the doors of week six. So that's in two weeks, all right? So hang in there. You can grab a couple for your friends and say, hey, you want to understand the Bible? Here's a great timeline. Here's another thing. Some of the slides you're going to see today, I tried to make it very similar to what you're going to see on this timeline, okay? So it's going to be a little easier to follow when you grab this timeline. And uh, that's our gift to you guys in week six as this wraps up. But... We are, we ate turkey for most of us. We ate a lot of turkey, and turkey has a chemical in it called tryptophan. Tryptophan makes you tired. It's that, man, this is why you sleep during the Lions game. You had that meal, and you're like, right, after the service, or after your meal. So, to catch us up, because we are three weeks in, we're halfway done with the series. We've covered a lot of ground, but only in Exodus Watch this short little minute and a half clip just to get us up to speed of where we're going to begin today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and darkness blanketed the deep. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. From there, he created the land, and he created the waters. He created the birds and the fish of the sea, and then he created Adam and Eve. 
He created them, and he created the Garden of Eden, a place to be the perfect shalom, a place of perfect peace, a place to walk with God. And Adam and Eve did until they didn't. One day they thought they had found better than God, and that perfect shalom was shattered. From there, darkness seemed to seep its way back in, as brother fought brother, and to walk with God was no longer something everyone felt they needed to do. And that's when we met Abram, later to be known as Abraham. And it was through Abraham that God promised three things, a great land, a great nation, and a great Messiah. And that is where we first learn that God is going to bring forth his son, Jesus, to be the ultimate plan for all of earth's restoration and redemption, because God is in the business of redeeming all things. If you've missed the last three weeks here at Radiant Life in our Puzzled series, that's where we've been. Today we jump into part four. What does God do next? So for 40 years, the Israelites find themselves wandering in the desert or the wilderness. If you were here last week, we talked about the exit from Egypt, 400 years of slavery. They made it into here down to Mount Sinai where God has this marriage-like ceremony with his people to say, okay, now that I rescued you and you are free, you're gonna be my message to the world. You need to learn how to live like me so you can be me to everyone who's going to walk through and pass by where you're living. And now they get the Ten Commandments down here. They're making their way up to the promised land. And they begin this journey. And as they journey into the promised land, God is leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. How cool would that be? Right? No GPS. You're just following this cloud and this fire. How awesome. And here they're going to get to the promised land. We're going to zoom in there. And they make their way, and they're on the western side of the Dead Sea, and they need to cross the Jordan River. And the first city they are going to encounter is the city of Jericho. And then they're going to go to Ai, a city there, and then they're going to do this southern conquest and the northern conquest in order to completely take a hold of their promised land, which is represented here in purple. And eventually the capital city would be Jerusalem. At this point, this is known as the conquest and judges. Moses, their leader, has died off. Mo doesn't get to go to the promised land. However, a young, strapping young lad by the name of Joshua, which we have his letter in the, our Bible, makes it and leads this conquest all over. And then enters a very dark period known as the Judges. There's 12 judges, 150 years, they rule this organized group of people known as the Israelites. And we have the book, Judges. A lot of them, some are good, some don't make the wisest choice in the world, but they have all these people and we need someone to rule over all of them. And hence the word judges, not a gavel like our legal system judge. It just means I'm ruling over you, okay? Are we there yet? We're tracking. Some of the judges, Ehud, uh, you have Gideon, you have a woman judge by the name of Deborah, and you have this handsome, long-flowing, beautiful hair, super strong guy by the name of what? 
Samson, right? And you know, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you probably have heard the story of Samson and his little girl, Delilah, right? Sneaky little Delilah cuts his hair. He loses his power. But Samson is one of those judges. After the period of judges, 150 years of them just trying to control the mass quantity of the Israelites, finally in the promised land, there's a period where a guy by the name of Samuel is ruling. He's a priest, prophet, he acts as both, and he's the linchpin between the judges and when we start to get kings in the nation. He is there kind of ruling everything, acting as priest and prophet to all the people, and the nation of Israel is going to come to Samuel and say, hey, we want to be like all the other nations. We see all the nations around us. They have kings and we don't. And we want one. Here's what's recorded in 1 Samuel 8, 6. It says, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And so they rejected God as their king because God is their king at this time. They're like, no, forget you, God. And God's like, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. We're going to see how this works out for you. You ever had that in your life? We were like, all right, dude, you really want it that way? I know how it's going to end, but you're asking for it. I'll give it to you, right? Maybe sometimes that's the way we parent our kids. Or is that just me? I don't know, all right? But now we enter a time of monarchy because the people ask, give us a king. And God's like, fine, we're going to give him a king. And so the first king for the nation of Israel is a guy by the name of Saul. Turn to someone and say, Saul? Here's what his name means, asked for. That's pretty cool, right? God says, hey, all right, I'm going to give you a king. And by the way, his name is going to mean asked for. You asked for it. Here you go. And well, it didn't work so uh, well for them. Your first king started really good at first, gave you a little hope, and then just went completely downhill from there. Kind of like Michigan football yesterday. You know, you're up 14-0 against your arch rival. You're thinking, maybe there's something. Nope, there's nothing, all right? So that saw, not so good king, he gets replaced by Israel's second king, the greatest king that Israel has ever had, the guy that was a little shepherd boy that went to the field and fought Goliath. Goliath, I did this in first service too, Goliath fought the giant, destroyed. The second king that comes onto the stage is a guy by the name of David. Now, David is described as a man after God's own heart. He's a great king. But just like you and I, we have highs in our lives and we have low points in our lives. And King David had great heights, but he had great lows as well. And one of the most pinnacle heights of David's reign, we're told this in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 11. It begins this way. The Lord declares to you, referring to David, King David, the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. So far, so good. It continues. When your days are over and you will rest with your ancestors, also known as when you're dead, 
I will raise up for your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will, what are these two words? Endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And David gets this promise from God that David's heart is, I want to build a temple for God to dwell in, for our people, the nation of Israel, to go and worship in. But God tells him, you know what, David? It's not going to be on your timeline. It's going to be your offspring who will do that. But I promise you this, there's going to be an everlasting kingdom that will come through you. That is so key to remember. An everlasting kingdom is going to come through the line of David. Because we'll get into that next week as well. Okay? So there's David. David ends up passing away, and he has a son who comes onto the throne by the name of Solomon. Turn to someone and say, Solomon. Solomon. He's a fun guy. He has this amazing wisdom and discernment in his life. God asks him, now that you're king, what do you want? I will give you anything. And Solomon says, I want wisdom. I got to govern all these people. I want wisdom. And I'm thinking, ask for prosperity, right? Ask for money. Ask for something else. But he's wise, obviously, and says, no, if I'm going to lead everyone, God, will you grant me wisdom? And Solomon will lead the nation of Israel into new heights they've never seen. They enter what's called the golden age. They have so much wealth. And people will travel around the world to go to the nation of Israel to see what King Solomon is doing. And in fact, the queen of Sheba, and historians, we don't know exactly where Sheba is, but the queen of Sheba makes a trip just to come visit King Solomon and see what he's doing in the nation of Israel. And we have her recording of what happens in 1 Kings chapter 10. It says this, How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. And here's where it gets exciting and takes off. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and what? Righteousness. In other words, the queen of Sheba is saying, God placed you on the throne of Israel to maintain justice and righteousness. Now, where have we seen those two words? Genesis chapter 18, when God is telling the people how his promises are going to come true through Abraham. And he says, Abraham will do the will of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And here it is in the kings, and the queen of Sheba comes and says, I know why you're on the throne. It's to maintain justice and righteousness in this nation. Justice means just righting what is wrong, our legal system, if you will. Righteousness, looking out for the oppressed and for the poor and the least of these. These people have a right to, just like the wealthy, maintain justice and righteousness. If only this was true for the rest of King Solomon's life. Because King Solomon, unlike his father David, 
who had a heart after God, King Solomon is going to go downhill real quick. His heart went away from God. And in fact, it says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And you can read all about King Solomon. I would encourage you, 1 Kings chapter 9, 10, and 11, if you want to write those down. You'll learn everything that King Solomon did. But it gets so evil. Here's what Solomon did. He ends up buying horses. And earlier in the biblical text, God tells the people, don't get horses, because with horses, you buy chariots. And if you buy chariots, horses and chariots equals a military weapon. I'm to be your provider, your God, your protector. Don't go there. And Solomon is the only king that ever recorded to buy, and it tells us how many chariots, how many horses that he has bought. What's worse is Solomon, God tells the people, don't go back to Egypt. You were slaves back in Egypt. Solomon goes to Egypt to buy horses and chariots, and then we're told in 1 Kings chapter 10 that he begins to sell them to other nations. King Solomon becomes a military arms dealer in the, in the world at this time. And it doesn't end there. He ends up having 700 wives and 300 concubines. No wonder why he had to ask for wisdom. He's got to remember everyone's names, right? That's a lot there. But it doesn't end there either. We're told that as he's building the nation of Israel and his palaces and he's building the temple where God is to dwell and people are worshiping, that he's using forced labor, a.k.a. slaves. And God is the one who brought them out of 400 years of slavery, out of Egypt, met them at Mount Sinai and say, here's the Ten Commandments. Act, this is the way you're to act. Don't kill each other. Don't force things. You know what it's like to be oppressed. Don't do it here. And now King Solomon's got slaves and he's building the nation of Israel up. Well, unfortunately, King Solomon's known as the worst king in their history. Because through Solomon, this nation is going to divide into two. You're going to have the northern kingdom that's represented in the green and the southern kingdom that's represented in the yellow. And through this time, you are going to enter the scene of prophets that we get all these letters, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jonah, um, everything basically from past the book of Psalms, which is in the middle of your Bible, all the way, those guys' names are all prophets. Prophets are gap closers. Say, gap closer. What that means is, this is the way the nation of Israel is living. This is the way God wants you to live. We got to close that gap. And the prophets speak into that. You need to go from point A to point B. This is where God needs you to be. And the prophets are speaking. And they're sitting there going, you guys are living for idolatry. There's things in this world that you are putting above God. You are not remembering the Sabbath. You are not resting King Solomon, you're working people like they're slaves, like back in Egypt when your generations were enslaved. This is not the way my people are to be in the world. Also, you are not doing justice and righteousness. You are creating chaos. You're not creating shalom for my people. And now my people have divided into two kingdoms now. And there's going to be several kings who enter the scene. 
And one of the prophets by the name of Isaiah, and we're going to look at a couple of his stuff, Isaiah begins to speak in to the northern kingdom, but it applies to the southern kingdom as well. And here's what Isaiah says in verse, or chapter 1, verse 2. Hear me, you heavens, listen earth, for the Lord has spoken. And the northern kingdom's like, oh, we better listen. God's speaking. I have reared children and brought them up, but they have, what are those three words? Rebelled against me. God continues. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And God is going to get even more upset. Jump to verse 13. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. Do you see how angry God's getting with his people? You are not upholding justice and righteousness. You're creating chaos for people. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. In verse 16, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my, out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Then he says, learn to do right. Seek what? Justice. There it is again. Stop doing all this evil stuff. Learn to be me in the world. Stop doing it. Seek justice and listen to all the righteousness that's to follow. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And then he says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool, if you are willing and obedient. The problem is you have two kingdoms that aren't willing and obedient. They continue just to do their own thing. And what do you do when you have two kingdoms that you put here to be the hands and feet of who you are that aren't representing God well to the world, what do you do? God's going to do something amazing. See, the northern kingdom's called Israel. The southern kingdom's called Judah. Notice what the logo symbol is for Judah. It is, it is a what? Lion. We sing a song, the lion of Judah. Roaring with power, Jesus will come from here, this lineage of Judah, the lion. Now we're starting to make sense, right? Sometimes it's like, why do we sing these songs? Well, I don't know. We even know what I'm singing, right? And then we get to make more sense, okay? Here's what happened. You have these two kingdoms, Israel, whose capital is Samaria, whose capital in Judah is Jerusalem. And you know what Judah keeps saying? Hey, it doesn't matter. We can keep doing what's right in our own eyes. Why? Because we have Jerusalem. And what's in Jerusalem? The temple. We can worship and God is present. And here's what happens to the nation of Israel. They end up having, hello, hey, they end up having 19 different kings to rule on their throne. Most of them naughty. They were not good kings, most of them, right? 
And what happens is there's a nation, there's an empire ruling at this time by the name of Assyria. Assyria comes in, and in 722 BC, they come in to the northern kingdom and exile everyone out of here. And here's what the Assyrian Empire looks like. The circle there is the nation of Israel, and here's the Assyrian Empire. They're on the world scene for 300 years. They're ruling a lot from Israel to Syria to Lebanon to Jordan up through Turkey, and this would be present-day Iraq. That was their territory, and they came in in 722 BC and removed everyone out of the northern kingdom, Israel, to there and exiled them out there. God says, you're not being like me to the world. Well, the southern kingdom still has more prophets on the scene. Prophets such as Jeremiah and Elijah are on the scene trying to speak into Judah to say, hey, you see what happened to the northern kingdom? That's going to happen to you if you don't get your act right. And they're like, nah, we've got the temple, we've got the temple. And they're like, all right. They had 20 rulers sitting on their throne at the time, most of them. But Judah's there, and a big group empire known as Babylon. In 605 BC, Babylon enters the world scene and destroys Syria, led by King Nebuchadnezzar. You may refer to him in the book of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den, King, King Nebuchadnezzar. He comes on the stage, wipes the Assyrians out, but he wants to rule everything. So they take territory, they take the southern kingdom, and in 586 BC, they destroy the temple in Jerusalem and take all of the Israelites that are here and bring them to their empire, and they're ruling a much larger portion than the Assyrians. But here's the key. They're only on the world scene for 70 years. That's it. And King Nebuchadnezzar has a little different foreign policy. Yes, he's exiled people, and the Israelites are spread all throughout here, but King Nebuchadnezzar allows them to go back into their nation and begin to do things here. He's got a little more lighter foreign policy, if you will. And you get guys by the name of Ezra and Nehemiah who make their way back in and their number one goal is to rebuild the temple and the walls surrounding Jerusalem because that's where their temple is. That's where they worship. That's where the presence of God is. And you may know them as Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel goes in as well and they rebuild the walls. And in throughout this, they're all exiled out now couple are making their way back in to rebuild Jerusalem. But all along, they still remember, isn't there still one to come who's the great Messiah to rule everything, to make everything right again that was like the garden? They remember that. They remember the promise to Abraham, a great nation, a great land, and a great Messiah. Right now, they're not a great nation. They're everywhere. They don't have a great land because they're exiled, and this great Messiah has not come on the scene yet. And Isaiah is going to make a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. It says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And you may know this verse. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Prince of Shalom, the Shalom that was shattered in the garden. And Isaiah is saying, listen, 
You guys are rebelling. You're not obedient to God. I want to tell you, there is one to come, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. He will be the one to restore everything that was lost in the garden. And he continues on in verse 7. Ah, oh, this is awesome. Of the greatness of his government and what? Shalom, there will be no end. Here's where it gets good. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with what? Justice and righteousness. There it is again. We're told Abraham will bring God's promises with just and right, with justice and righteousness. King Solomon, you were given everything to do justice and righteousness, and you did not. But Isaiah says the one will come, and he will uphold God's kingdom with justice and righteousness. And he's the one to bring the pure shalom that was broken. But the problem with the Israelites is this won't happen for another 400 years. And they're exiled. How many of you have been to a play before, or a theater, and seen, seen something like that? A lot of plays in theaters, they have that curtain. The curtain closes, you watch a scene being played out, and you're getting into it, and the curtain closes, and you're anticipating the next scene. You're waiting in silence. But behind the, uh, behind the curtain, you don't see that stagehands are redoing and rearranging props, getting ready for the next scene. And after the prophet Malachi, who closes out the Older Testament, there are 400 years of absolute silence where God is not speaking anymore. There are no prophets. It's known as the intertestamental period between the Older Testament and the New Testament. 400 years. This curtain has closed on the Older Testament and the Israelites don't know it. But God is working behind the curtain to move pieces for this Isaiah prophecy to come that the Son of God will come and change it all. But there's 400 years of silence. And we don't like silence. It's awkward. In fact, we like to fill silence with just noise. We like to just turn on the radio because just, it's just too silent. And we fill the space of silence with noise. And sometimes silence can be super discouraging. It can be frustrating. You're sitting there going, I don't know about this, God. Because I'm starting to doubt because I don't even hear you anymore. It's like you're absolutely quiet right now in my life when I need you more than ever. If I was to sum up the end of the Older Testament, as we quickly flew through the rest of the Older Testament, it would be this for us this morning. Just because God is silent, for the nation of Israel, no more prophets. We don't have land. We're exiled. We kind of get to go back, but we kind of don't. And this God has promised us all this stuff, and we have nothing but silence for 400 years. 
Just because God is silent doesn't mean He's absent. Just because in your life the curtain's closed and we don't like it because now we're silent, we want to see God continue to move. We don't like that. We like to see the highlight reel. We like to see the home runs and the big touchdown catches. We don't like to see when they go three and out or strikeouts. We don't like when the curtain closes because we want to see God continue to move in it. What are you up to? But just because God closes the curtains on your life, then you feel absolutely like, God, where are you? It doesn't mean he's not there working behind the scenes of the curtain. Because he needed 400 more years to do what he's going to do. And the biggest scene will come on the stage 400 years later with the cry of a little baby in a manger. And that's Jesus. And it will radically change the world. Don't confuse God's silence with his absence. And I know it's easy. Praise Him, you can make your way up. Know this, friends. We don't have to understand what God's up to in order to trust Him. But that's so difficult because we want to know first before we trust. You don't have to understand what God's doing. Because God, we're told, and God, God's ways are higher than ours. We can't even imagine. We can't think like God. But he's working behind the scenes. Sometimes the curtain's closed, but trust that his presence is still there. His word does not return a void. It says he is with you through everything you go through. Even if you don't feel him, he's there in the midst of the storm. Don't confuse his silence with his absence. The team's going to lead us in a song called Awakening. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to stand and sing. I think sometimes we got to live what the psalmist says. One of my favorite psalms, it says, be what? If you know it, be still and know that I'm God. And that's difficult because sometimes stillness equals silence. We don't like silence. Sometimes in the silence, it's just praying, God, will you just awaken my soul? I don't have to fully understand what you're doing behind the curtain. I just need to know you're there. Would you just awaken me? Because oftentimes what God's doing behind the curtain is what's going to grow your faith the most. And for the nation of Israel, that baby's coming. They don't know it, but it's coming. Why don't we stand and we're going to sing, but I want to, I want to pray for us before we enter this time of worship through song. Let's pray together. Father, it's not always easy to just be silent. Just to be still. Because we want to see you move. We want answers. We want progress. And we don't like it always when the curtain's closed. So we want to see what's coming next. I pray if for those of us that are in this room this morning, 
Many of us are just wrestling with that. God, where are you? Are you just not there anymore? You feel absolutely silent. I just pray deep down in our souls, we would just pray this prayer of awaken my soul. May I just be still and would you just awaken me so I know you're there. And that I don't have to see what you're doing behind the curtains. I'm just trusting in my loving Heavenly Father's arms that what He's doing is good for me. Even when I don't know what He's doing, it's good. Would you just awaken our souls to that? Father, I just pray that we would find time this week just to be still. And know that you are Lord. In Jesus' name.